This morning we're going to do things a little bit different. Every carol that we sing has a story behind it. I don't know if you've ever heard the stories behind some of the most well-known Christmas carols. Well, this morning we're going to tell the story and then sing together three of the most well-known Christmas carols. We know that life is so busy, incredibly busy at this time of year. And so this morning we're inviting you once again to stop and behold Jesus. We're inviting you once again to step into the God story. As we tell the stories of the carols of old, we want you to enter the story. We want you to bring your heart right into not only the words of the carols that we're going to sing, but right into the message that lies at the heart of Christmas as we remember that Emmanuel has come. So come with us on that journey, not only into these well-known carols, but right into the heart of Christmas. So we've got some storytellers. Um, Aaron Manson is going to come forward in a moment to tell the story of a little town of Bethlehem. But before she does that, let me invite you to stand. I want us to stand. We're going to read God's Word. And as we read God's Word, um, I want us to stand for this. Just as we acknowledge that this is the Word of the Lord. Um, I'm going to read from John 1, verses 1 to 5. And then verse 14 will come up on the screen. And I want us all to read verse 14 together. Okay, so John 1, 1 to 5. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Let's read this together. Verse 14. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Let's just take a moment to pray before Aaron comes forward. And you can take your seats in a moment. Aaron's going to tell the story of a little town of Bethlehem. But let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we're here gathered again this morning as one big church family. We thank you for your presence with us. We thank you for the carols that we're about to sing. But more than that, we thank you for the message that lies at the heart of every word we're going to sing. Every word that we've read. We thank you that Jesus has come that in him is both life and light. May we sense your life-giving presence among us this morning as we gather, from the youngest among us to the very oldest. May we all sense your life-giving presence and may your light shine. So come, Lord Jesus, help us to enter the story and may your glory be sensed among us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You can take your seats and Aaron is going to come off, uh, come up and tell us the story of a little town of Bethlehem. The Reverend Philip Brooks was the rector at Holy Trinity Church, Philadelphia. In 1865, he had spent Christmas in Bethlehem, the town where Jesus was born. 
The sights and sounds of the ancient city flooded his enthusiastic mind, which would prove to have left deeply ingrained impressions. Three years later, these impressions would be expressed in a hymn, one that he would write specially for the children of Sunday school back home. Now, Philip Brooks was a very big man, perhaps even taller than our very own Paul Elliott. He is said to have been one of the biggest preachers of his day, standing at six foot six in height with a weight to match. But Philip Brooks was not just physically big, he was also a spiritual giant to many people. It is said that he knew over 200 hymns off by heart, which is a feat that not many of us here could attest to for sure. The story of O Little Town of Bethlehem goes back to a December day in 1868, when the massive preacher paced the study of his church in Philadelphia. It was just a few days before Christmas, and the minister was working hard getting his sermon ready. Out in the church, the organist Lewis Redner was practicing carols and special music for the upcoming services. It's a scene not too unfamiliar for us in Carmony. As the preacher walked up and down, his thoughts took him back to his experiences of Bethlehem and to the shepherds watching over their sheep just as they did when Jesus was born all those years before. Eventually, he set aside his sermon preparation and took up his pen. Very quickly, the words flowed. O little town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee lie. And in only a short time, he had written four verses. He then asked Redner, the organist, to write a tune. Redner was no composer, but he decided to give it a go. The days passed until it was almost Christmas, but Redner still hadn't had any ideas for the music. However, an amazing thing happened, as almost like a miracle. On Christmas Eve, at around midnight, he was awakened as though by an angel. He would later recall that the music seemed to come down from heaven. Quickly, he jotted down the melody, and just as quickly as he woke up, he went straight back to sleep. On Christmas morning, he finished the harmonies for the tune and taught the carol to the children of the Sunday school, not unlike the song that you Kingdom kids learn every week. It must have been a great thrill for those children to sing O Little Town of Bethlehem for the very first time it was ever heard on that Christmas day in 1868. O little town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee lie. Above thy deep and dreamless sleep, the silent stars go by. Yet in thy dark streets shineth the everlasting light. The hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. Let's stand and sing O Little Town of Bethlehem. Silent Night. The annual presentation of the Christmas story was to be held in St. Nicholas Church in a tiny village of Oberndorf, near Salzburg in the Austrian Alps. But it was discovered that the church organ was broken. It had been nibbled by mice. No organ meant no music, not good at Christmas time. The assistant pastor, Joseph Moore, wanted to make Christmas really special and began to reflect on the real meaning of Christmas. Moore strode to a hillside overlooking the little village as it lay peacefully on a still, clear night. Words began to form in his mind. The first verse of Silent Night, Holy Night. He later presented the verses to the church organist, Franz Gruber, a school teacher and songwriter. It's reported that Gruber composed the musical setting the same day he received Moore's poetic words. It seems like God was at work. The story is told that on Christmas Eve, Gruber and Pastor Moore sang the song to the little congregation gathered in the church. With the organ still broken, Gruber accompanied their singing on his guitar. This carol was a favorite from the beginning. From there, it has orbited the earth again and again, 
being sung countless times throughout the Advent season. Perhaps the carol's most legendary moment is the supposed singing of Silent Night and in German, Stille Nacht, in the trenches of World War I on Christmas Eve, 1914, by German and British troops. Amidst the terror of the Great War, one soldier described Christmas Eve evening as a beautiful moonlit night, frost on the ground, white almost everywhere. What took place that Christmas Eve was a remarkable truce in the war, and most accounts suggest that the truce began with carol singing from the trenches. While there is debate among historians about the nature and scope of the truce, Silent Night, Holy Night, is firmly established in popular imagination as the soundtrack for this remarkable event. A measure of the carol's strength is that at the very least, we feel it should be sung during times of conflict, as it powerfully announces the message of peace and reconciliation that our world is longing for. Silent night, holy night, all is calm, all is bright. Round yon virgin, mother and child, holy infant, so tender and mild. Sleep in heavenly peace, sleep in heavenly peace. Silent Night, Holy Night is one of those carols that wears really well. It is as fresh and beautiful today as it was the first time it was played and sung that Christmas Eve in a little Austrian town more than 170 years ago. Let's stand together and sing Silent Night. Good morning. I'm glad Stuart did not give me any German to say this morning. Um, so our last carol is Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Do you know this one? Of course you do. Hark the Herald Angels Sing, written by Charles Wesley, brother of John Wesley, founder of the Methodist Church. Charles Wesley wrote over 6,000 hymns more than any other male writer. The only person to write more hymns than him was Fanny Crosby. She wrote, wait for it, 8,000 hymns. Can you imagine writing 8,000 hymns? Charles Wesley's goal in writing hymns was to teach the poor and those who couldn't read good, sound biblical truth. The carol was written in 1739, but the original words were slightly different. It initially began with, Hark how all the welkin rings, glory to the king of kings. You're probably thinking, what is a welkin? Well, let me tell you, because Google's a wonderful thing. Welkin is an old English meaning sky or heavens. And it's thought that Charles Wesley wrote these words while traveling to a Christmas Eve church service on horseback. Looking up at the starry sky, he couldn't help but joyfully praise the King of Kings. The hymn originally had 10 verses or stanzas. 
and failed to gain much traction in the church. I've no idea why. Can you imagine 10 verses? Over the next decades, the hymn underwent various tweaks and changes by other editors, much to the dismay of the protective Wesley brothers. In 1753, the famous preacher, George Whitfield, reworked the first line, changing it from Hark How the Welkin's Welkin Rings to the now familiar Hark the Herald Angels Sing. This marked a pivotal change in the carol's evolution, helping those singing it to be brought right into the carol, allowing us to lift our voices alongside the heavenly angels as we bring glory to the newborn king. The carol was a step closer to what we know today, but it wasn't until 1840 that Hark the Herald Angels Sing got the tune that we know so well today. Highly regarded German composer Felix Mendelssohn had written a rousing melody to celebrate the 400th anniversary of Gutenberg's printing press. He didn't think that this stirring tune was suitable for such sacred words. But when Charles Wesley's words eventually came together with Mendelssohn's music, the world would have a Christmas carol of soul-stirring beauty. Before we stand to sing, you've perhaps always wondered what the word hark really means. The word hark is an old-fashioned command telling someone to listen or pay attention. The very same meaning as the biblical word behold. Let's hark with the angels and behold the wonder of the newborn king as we stand to sing. We're going to sing one more song in a moment or two. It's not a carol, um, but it's a wonderful song of worship. Um, before we do that, um, let me just share a few brief words with all of us this morning. A good movie trailer is always really important. Um, I don't know if you like watching movie trailers, but the trailer to a movie wants to bring us right in. It wants to suck us in, doesn't it? It wants us to know a little bit about what the movie is going to be like, and it's going to make us want to watch that movie. Well, the first 18 verses of John's gospel, the gospel of John, those first 18 verses, we read some of them this morning, they're sometimes known as the prologue, but they act like the trailer to John's gospel. They give us a snippet of what John is going to tell us about in the rest of his account of the life and the work of Jesus. We're given these beautiful insights in the first 18 verses of what is about to come. And two of the biggest themes that John introduces right at the very beginning of his gospel account are the themes of life and light. Life and light. Let me put this, uh, these two verses up again. John 1, verses 4 to 5. Flick on, I think it's... Yep, there we are. We've just sung in Hark the Herald Angels Sing, life and light, or light and life to all he brings. And that comes directly from John 1, where John writes that in him, in Jesus, the Word who was with God in the beginning... 
in him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind or humankind. The light shines into the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Light and life, life and light. Light and life appear more times in John's gospel than in any of the other three. In fact, life, the life that is found in Jesus' name, appears more times in John's account than it does in the other three put together. John wants us to know that both light and life in all of its fullness are found in Jesus alone. In fact, much of the message of the entire Bible is life and light. God wants us to know that he has come to bring us life, and he wants us to know that in him there is light. A good Christmas carol will help us to sing about both of those things, light and life. Christmas invites us into both of those things, that there is life and there is light found in Jesus. Both light and life speak of the blessing that can only come through knowing Jesus Christ. Fullness of life here on earth and eternal life when this life on earth is over. By his grace and through our faith in him, we can cross over from death to life and from darkness into light. It's the promise of the gospel. We can cross from death to life and from darkness and into his light. John's gospel is amazing. Right at the very end of John's account of the life and work of Jesus, at the very end, John actually gives us the purpose for the whole gospel account that he's just written. Um, he just summarizes what it's all about. And here's what he says in John 20, 30 to 31. He says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book that I haven't had time to write down. And then he says this, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you might have life in his name. Life in his name. John wants us to know that life in all of its fullness, eternal life, is found in the name of of Jesus. See, the good news of Jesus, we say here in Carmoney, the good news of Jesus is not that he has come to make good people better people. Jesus has come to make dead people come to life. Spiritually dead people come to spiritual life in his name. That's what we celebrate at Christmas time and all through the year. In many ways, this, this is just one big celebration of life. We hope and we pray that as you've come in here this morning, that you sense the life of God, the life-giving presence of Emmanuel who is with us, not just today, but all through the years we gather to worship God here in Carnmoney. We want you to walk into life. We want you to sense the life of God despite your circumstances with whatever's going on in your life, and we say this week in and week out, we all have stuff that we're dealing with. But when you come in here, we want you to come not only into these bright lights, but we want you to come into the light of the glory of God as we worship him in this place. As you come in through these doors, we want you to sense his life-giving presence. That's what we believe God is building here in Carmoney, a church that is the light of the world.
shining brightly into the darkness of the world around us and a church in which we find fullness of life. Fullness of life in the name of Jesus. A life-giving church. Do you want to be part of a life-giving church? That's who we are. Light and life found in the name and in the person and in the work of Jesus. We're going to celebrate as we close our time together. I've got one more little thing I'm going to share with you that is off the cuff. It's just happened this morning. Um, You'll get that in a moment or two. But why don't we stand? We're going to sing together. Stand with me. We're going to sing. In Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2, the prophet Isaiah prophesied, and he said this, the people in uh, walking in darkness... What have they seen? They've seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. I want to invite you now as we close or come to a close this morning. I know you're probably thinking it's only a quarter to 12. That's all right. Usually it's like way over time. (laughs) But as we close this morning, can I invite you to worship God who is life and light with all that you have as we close our time together. We're going to sing King of Kings. And in King of Kings, it says this, in the darkness we were waiting, without hope and without light, until from heaven you came running, there was mercy in your eyes to fulfill the law and prophets, what Isaiah prophesied of old. To a virgin came the word from a throne of endless glory to a cradle in the dirt. That's what Jesus has done. He's come from a throne of endless glory to a cradle in the dirt. So what's our response? What do we do as the people of God today in 2023, as the year draws to a close, as we thank God for his goodness and his faithfulness, and as we look ahead to the new year, and as we anticipate another year when the Lord will not let us down, when he will remain the one who brings good news of great joy to all people, what are we going to do? What's our only appropriate response? We praise the Father. We praise the Son, we praise the Spirit, three in one, because He is the God of glory. He is majesty. And so we praise forever the King of kings. So let's worship Him um, with all that we have. Lift your voices, and then you can take a seat. Um, In fact, don't take a seat. Stay on your feet um, after we sing this, and we'll come to a close this morning. Okay, let's worship God. I wasn't sure whether to share this, but I'm going to. I was handed a little card this morning, um, a Christmas card. I have no idea who it's from. Um, it's anonymous, and on the front, there's a picture of, of Santa on a hillside somewhere. <clears throat> he looks a little bit lost. He's kind of wandering somewhere um, with a sack over his shoulder. Um, just listen to this. To Carmoney Church, Santa on the front of this card was a bit like me this summer. Lost in the wilderness, searching for something to make me happy and fulfill my, uh, my feelings so overwhelmed and depressed. Frantically trying to find that next thing that would maybe be my answer. Well, now I am no longer searching. 
And I just would like to thank God and everyone at Carmoney Church for the great work that they do to share God's word and bring people to Jesus in all the different and wonderful ways that you do. Every week I come here and I truly feel the presence of God. Learning about Jesus has inspired me to want to be a better person and live like Jesus did. And I'm excited to see where God will take me next. Praise God. We said last night and we said last Sunday that the only world in which God works is the real world. It's your world with all that you deal with, with all that you go through. It's the real world that he has come into to work, to bring salvation, to bring light and life. In Jesus' name, there is resurrection power. There is resurrection power. He can bring healing and restoration. He can reconcile things that are broken because there is power in his name. 